Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If you're ready, say yeah, yeah. All right, it says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, somebody say more than, all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within who? Within us. Within us. I'm going to read it one more time. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I want to read a few verses out of Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. It's a lot of scripture, but it's an important set of verses that I want you to hear. And it says this. It says two others. These were criminals were also laid away or led away to be executed with him when they arrived at the place called the skull. Somebody say the skull in your Bible. It may say Golgotha. That's another name for this place. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they began to divide his clothes and cast lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him that said, this is the king of of the Jews. Verse 39, it says, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 30, or 42, excuse me. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Somebody say, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to read one more verse and then we're going to pray. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle of them, in the middle of them. For the next few moments, I want to talk from a message titled, There's More in the Middle. There's more in the middle. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these students. Thank you for these young people. I pray that this generation understands your word and applies it to their life in a way that they live out this verse, that they help show others that there's more in the middle. And all God's people said, amen. High five your neighbor and say there's more. There's more as you grab your seat. There's more. There's more. Quick survey, quick survey, quick survey. By show of hands, how many of you have ever been on a plane? By show of hands. You can put your hands down. Look at y'all, frequent flyer miles, miles, you know, put your hands down. All right, here's another one. Uh, where are my window seat people at? You like the window seat. I know Lindsay likes some window seats. She wants to look at God's creation. You can put your hands down. Where are my aisle people at? You like to be on the road. You like to be in control of who can go to the bathroom. Is that clear? Yep. Me, me and you both. I don't mind being an aisle person. All right. So uh, it doesn't really matter to me if I have the window seat personally or if I have the aisle seat. I can deal with being, in, I can deal with being uncomfortable in either of those environments. I can deal with, matter of fact, I can deal with sitting next to crying babies. I really don't have a problem with sitting next to crying babies. I can deal with a crying baby being behind me, kicking my seat, which happened to me for five and a half hours on my way to Oregon. I can deal with that. But the one place I don't want to be on a plane, the one place I can't stand to be on a plane, that the one place that I check before I even set foot into the airport, it's the middle seat. Somebody say the middle seat. I can't stand the middle seat. And uh, I want to tell you a funny story about this middle seat because there's an issue with the middle seat, but uh, it's happened to me my whole life. But 
Uh, I just got to tell y'all, when I went out to Oregon, I thought it was going to be a great flight. You know, I had to get up early. I was in Atlanta the night before, and I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning because they were going to board at 6 a.m., and Atlanta's a big airport, so I knew I needed to get there at least two hours early. But, you know, I was hanging out with one of my best friends, and uh, I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. He a black guy, so he'll be on CP time. If y'all know what that means, that's color people time. Like, he'd be late. And I can say that, but y'all can't say that. So um, <clears throat> he was real late. Y'all, somebody say late. And he, man, it was just so messed up. I was like, Kiwan, let me tell you, black, his name's Kiwan. I was like, Kiwan, come on, bro, I got to go. So I had to wake him up on my way to the airport to get to my flight. Anyways, I get to the airport, and TSA, it's long, y'all. I mean, long, long. And the line's moving. It was like uh, Pac-Man, just the, the line was moving. And they kept making the line move, but they never got me any closer. So I'm already freaking out. By the time I get to my gate, they're already boarding. Now, I didn't do first class or none because I ain't bougie like that. I was in the last class. So I, it was, I was on time anyways. But I get onto this plane. It's, you know, it takes off at 7 a.m. I'm thinking, all right, I got my seat. I'm cool. Everything's going to be fine. Kid you not, this guy comes in. He's late. He's late, late. And he walks into this plane. And you ever been sitting in your seat and you looking and you don't want to make eye contact with this person because you think, like, they're going to be in the seat next to you? It's the same way on the school bus. Y'all ever did it? That one person you don't want to sit with y'all because they must it. You know what I'm saying? But he was like, I, ain't, I, ain't, I don't know anybody on this plane. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. And I'm looking at this guy and. We lock eyes, and I was like, you can't be the one because you ain't going to fit. But he just kept walking. He just kept coming. I'm sorry, y'all. Is that too real? Anyways, he just kept coming, and uh, he sat down, and he said, hey, I'm in between y'all. I was like, no, you ain't. But I didn't say it out loud. In my mind, I thought it. So he sat down in between us, and I was like, you know what? It's going to be okay. He's a bigger guy. He could be a little bit of cushion. If uh, the plane get a little turbulence, I might just I might just lay my head on his shoulder. You know, we get real close. We're going to get acquainted because it's a five-and-a-half-hour flight. I was thinking this is going to be fine. Well, I got my AirPod Pros in my ear, so I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be a good flight. I got my little neck pillow that I don't really know how to work because you put it on that way, and it touches the back of the seat, and it keeps your head this way. So I turn it around this way, and I lay that way, and it worked out. So <laughs> got my neck pillow, got my earbuds in. The thing that sucks about my earbuds is they keep falling out every time I turn my ear this way. So I had to figure out a way to get situated. And so I'm sitting there. I got my earbuds in, and then I hear what I think to be like the engine roaring. I, I freak out. It was just like this loud, like in my earbuds, it was like, like that kind of noise. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it back to youth first. I, I thought my life was over. So I take out this earbud and I like look out the window and I was like, okay, plane's fine. We're good. I put it back in and I, I hear it again. So I take out this earbud and I kid y'all not, my man who's large and in charge, he was snoring so loud for five and a half hours. That story ain't got nothing to do with the Bible I was telling y'all about tonight, but it's just got everything to do with I hate the middle seat. Somebody say the middle. The middle I have an issue with because I've been scarred from being in the middle my whole life. Matter of fact, my cousins used to squish me in the middle, in the back seat, when we used to come to Dothan from Eufaula to go to the movies. And my cousins, they ain't small people. If y'all ever meet them, they big, light-skinned people. They real big. So they will put me in the middle. I'm telling y'all, I hate the middle so much. My dad had a small S10 pickup. Y'all know what an S10 pickup is? It's a toy truck about that big. That's what he had. And he would put me and three other people in this truck. The gear shift is right there. I'm like, dude, where are we going? I'm going to die. No seat belts or nothing. I hate the middle. The other issue with the middle is you don't have an armrest that's yours. You got to use people's legs. Like you get real. I got real close to that guy. And what y'all didn't know about the guy that was sitting next to me is uh, I didn't know on this flight. I thought the earlier the flight, you know, the more, you know, perks you get. I thought they were going to give away, you know, free stuff. So the lady came by, the stewardess, she tricked me. She came by, she said, do you want any snacks? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, I thought that was an open question. She was like, what do you want? I was like, what do you have? <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, what do you have? I, I, Y'all, this is so bad. 
And she said, look at the menu. I said, ma'am, I can't open my eyes. It's too early. I just tell me what you got. And my boy who's sitting next to me, he said, I got a Pop-Tart. <laughs> he said, I got a Pop-Tart. I said, first off, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard of in my life. And he proceeds to pull out this squished Pop-Tart. He pulls it out. And he says, do you want it? I did what any smart person would do. I did what y'all did. I was like, give me that Pop-Tart. I ain't going to lie. I ate that Pop-Tart, y'all. I tore that Pop-Tart up. <laughs> I'm still here. I got The cure to COVID was in that Pop-Tart. I tore that Pop-Tart up. But the middle... Oh, man, the middle. Somebody say the middle. The middle is an issue. And yet I've come to realize that this life of faith, a life of following Jesus, is lived out in the middle. Does anyone know what it's like to be in the middle? You, you know, where are my, uh, my middle you know, kids at? You're in the middle of your family. Yep. <clears throat> I was like that, too, until I turned 21 and I realized my older sister was not my sister. I was like, I'm not a middle child. I am the oldest. Don't you lie to me anymore, Dad. Where my middle kids at? Middle, you got older siblings and you got younger siblings. Okay, you put your hands down. I understand what it's like to feel stuck. I get it. <laughs> Anybody else know what it's like to feel in between? To be in a place where you're not where you need to be. You're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're going to be. You're in a place where you're in the middle. Somebody say the middle. I want to let you know that you don't know you don't know what's in you until you're in the middle. You don't know what God will pull out of you until you're in the middle, because the real you comes out in the middle. In the middle, that's where you find out what you're made of. In the middle, you find out that there's more, because as we read earlier, Jesus is in the middle because God is faithful in the middle. That's a good place to say amen. Because some of you haven't gotten to a place in life yet where you've learned the importance of God being in the middle. Because we hear things like this all the time. I'll share a few things with you. That he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. But there's not another word that says he's the beta, that he's the middle. But he's the whole alphabet. He's all of it. We hear that he's the beginning and the end, that he's a starter and a finisher. But he is also the God of the middle. Because God is with me in the valley and he's with you on the mountaintop. That means he's with you in the middle. Somebody say the middle. But what do we do in the middle? The story we read earlier, I believe, is an exact representation of the current condition of our hearts and our world. Like those criminals on the cross next to Jesus, people are confused. Let's be honest. Some of you came in tonight, you're confused. They're hurting. Some of you came in tonight and you feel real pain. And I'm not just talking about physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. We went through all that last in the last series talk called I Did It to Myself. You're hurting. Some of you, you're tired. You already told me you were tired. As soon as I met you, I was like, hey, how you doing? I'm tired. I was like, hold on. First off, you ain't got no job. How you tired? Tired. I get it. Some of you frustrated, angry. People are depressed, dispirited, distressed, discouraged. You are in need of help and hope. And I believe our father is looking down from heaven with compassion. And he is still saying the same thing. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. In this story, Jesus is on the cross in between two criminals, much like where he is now, in between us and God's wrath, advocating for our freedom, advocating for our purpose, advocating for our salvation. We need people who want to be in the middle with Jesus because there's more in the middle. And until we can have compassion and empathy like Jesus for people who don't share our experiences in life. We just, you know, ask you to raise your hand. And clearly there's a diverse group of people. We got the window seat people. We got the aisle people. We got the middle people. We got all kinds of people, not only in the world, but in our youth group. And until we get to a place where we have empathy and compassion and grace for people who don't look like us, 
who don't act like us or even believe like us. Here's one or even sin like you sinned. We will never extend grace to those who are different than us. And even though the middle is uncomfortable, in order for us to represent Christ to people who are different, that means stepping out of comfort zones and stepping into common ground. Because common ground is always found in the middle. Somebody say the middle. Point number one for my note takers, I need you to write this down. You need to write this down. Type it down. Send it to a friend. You need to write it. Common ground is found outside of comfort zones. Common ground is found outside of comfort zones. Pastor Will, what do you mean by this? The story said Jesus was in the middle of two criminals. Let me just say it this way. The cross is common ground. It's common ground for all of us. We reach more people on common ground because at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. The cross makes everybody in this room equal. Grace makes us equal. Jesus makes us equal. And we all need Jesus. That's another good place to say amen. No one needs Jesus more than you. No one needs Jesus more than anyone else. I need you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because common ground is found outside of comfort zones. Number two, somebody say number two. If we see how God sees, we will see what God sees. If we see how God sees, we will see what God sees. Pastor Will, that sounds real good. I see what you're doing there with the alliteration. Sounds real poetic. I need some Bible for that. I'm glad you said that because I got some for you. But let me tell you this first. Jesus tells the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. He didn't look at the criminal and was like, hey, bro, you guilty, guilty. Like, that's what made you up here with me. Like, you going down. Like, he didn't say that. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. What's interesting is Jesus didn't see criminals. He saw children. He saw sons. The Bible confirms this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says this, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's so good. It has always been our nature to look at appearance, but it's God's will that we look at the heart. We were never created to see other people's sins before we see people. Isn't it true about us that when we see people, we don't see them, we see their issue? As soon as you see them, you just, you know, if it's a homeless person, he poor. You know, we just label everybody. We love labels. We see what, matter of fact, we're so bad at it, we see what people have on, which is why I'm glad you dressed up in costumes tonight. Because some of y'all wear designer, and the first thing y'all assume is they got money. Well, you know what? A lot of people broke. Because they're out here faking. We just see people, and we call them based on what they have on. If all you see when you see people is their sin, their mistakes, their mishaps and their mess ups there. Or if you all you see when you see people is their issues, then they are not the one with the issue. You are. Let me give you some more Bible for that. Matthew, chapter seven, verse three says, don't pick on people. And all my people that get bullied said, amen. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Man, do you have the nerve to say, do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? First off, that's weird. That's because some of y'all got mamas, you know, they, they lick at their thumb and they're like, baby, let me get that right there. But imagine if you went to school, be like, baby, let me get that right there. That's nasty. COVID is real. OK. Some of y'all be out here just licking. Uh, I got it. (laughs) 
Listen to this. It says, do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? Playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you may be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. That's a good verse right there. And then some of you, this is what you sound like. Well, Pastor Will, they listen to bad music. Well, you listen to gossip. Oh, y'all didn't want to say amen on that one because y'all know it's like, dang, he got me. He got me. I was listening to Drake before I came here. God, dog. And then some of y'all were like, yep, I know all the tea. Some of y'all sound like this. In fact, I said it earlier. They smell like weed and liquor. Well, you smell like pride. Oh, here's another one. Pastor Will, they be stealing. Well, you lie. You're greedy. You're hateful. All of us have these sin issues. We are no better than anyone else. We need to see how God sees, because if we see how God sees, we will see what God sees. When God sees people, he sees potential. He sees a harvest that is plentiful and ready. And what I want to say to you is I began to stop praying for the Lord. I I began to stop praying for the harvest. This is Bible. The Bible says it doesn't say pray for the harvest. It says the harvest is ripe. It's ready. What does that mean? It means people are ready to hear the gospel. But it does say this. It says pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to work the harvest field. I pray for laborers, and guess what God gave me? He gave me you. It is your job to help bring in the harvest. That is why we're making room for what? For more. Somebody say more. And when God sees people, he doesn't see problems. He sees promises. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone, somebody say everyone, to turn from sin and no one to be lost. He wants all of us to come to the knowledge of him. If you're in the middle, then we have to see people the way God sees people. I can remember being asked as a kid, and some of you are going to resonate with this, but uh, they would ask me as a kid if a race riot ever broke out, which side would I choose on? Oh, what would I stand on? Excuse me, not choose on. Or which side would I choose? And what's interesting about this is I went back to my, uh, well, I've been out of school like 15 years. I'm that guy now. I'm old. But uh, I went back to my homecoming uh, last week, and I was walking up. And y'all, I done been around Christians and saved people so long and in, in diverse environments so long. Like when I went up there, I didn't realize I only went to school with black people. It was nothing but black people. I was like, where are the white people at? I started to call Lindsay just because I missed her. I was like, I need you now. I felt uncomfortable. And I'm black. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. They were cooking and all kinds of stuff. And I smelled great. But anyways, I'm out there at the homecoming field or whatever. And I could just it sparked that thought for me. It was like, hey, man, if a race riot ever broke out, which side would you stand on? And what I realized is I would say neither. I'll stand in the middle. My whole life, I felt like I was in this dilemma because I was in the middle. I was never black enough for the black side of my family, and I was never white enough for the white side of my family. I was always in the middle. So then I said, you know what? That's cool. I'll be in the middle. I'll be a bridge. I'll bring people together. But the issue with being a bridge, the issue with being in the middle, the issue with with getting out of your comfort zone onto common ground is number three. Write this down. The problem with standing in the middle is that sometimes you might get stepped on. The importance of being a bridge is realizing that people are going to walk on you. To get to Jesus. We got to get to this place where we understand this. The problem with standing in the middle is that you might get stepped on. And that's the beauty of the cross. Because people have to walk over Jesus' sacrifice. They have to step over his dead body. They have to step over the cross to get to hell. 
Pastor Mark said it earlier, uh, excuse me, Sunday, we're in this series of heaven and hell is called eternity. And Pastor Mark, he, he was just communicating to us the importance of realizing that we need Jesus in our life and that there's a real, there, that hell is an eternity, but God did not prepare that for us because God does not send us to hell. We choose hell. So in order for you to get there, you have to step over the dead body of Jesus to go to that place. And what I want us to do is I want us to stand between heaven and earth. And try to get as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. I've been saying it to leaders this way. In our youth ministry, this is what we do. We make it easy for people to know Jesus and hard for them to go to hell. That would have been a good place to say amen. But y'all ain't talking back to me, so it's okay. The problem with the middle is that it's the place that most people don't want to be. It's the place that most people avoid. It's the place with the most tension. But Jesus would always go out of his way to get to the people that we try to avoid. He would always do that. He was in the middle with the tension. Tension because you're not all the way on one side and you're not all the way on the other. You're, new, you're neutral. Because if you pick a side, what you don't realize is you have a tendency to divide. The moment you pick a side, you start splitting people. And I believe the attack of the enemy is simply to get you to pick a side. Now, I'm not talking about sin. We need to be clear on what sin is. I'm talking about the things that don't really matter as much as it means to leading them to Jesus. And I would suggest that maybe we're supposed to be in the middle because when we pick a side, what we actually think we're doing is we think we're leading people. But when you pick a side, what you're doing is you're leaving people. Because if I came here tonight and I just said, you know what, this is my side. Y'all my side forever. You know, right side, strong side. You know, I would sit about left side. I don't remember the Titans, but, you know, I switched it, you know, right side, my side, you know. And then y'all be like, well, dang, Pastor Will, like, why are we even here? Medea on the front be like, really? You just you don't want to hang out with us no more. When you that's the thing, though, when we pick a side, we think we're leading people. I'm like, no, I'm leading this side. And what I'm actually doing is I'm leaving people. That's not the heart of Jesus. He wants us to bring everybody with him because there's more in the middle. Somebody say the middle. Because being in the middle causes us to have this constant tension where I don't want to offend anybody. But I got to make a stand. I got to tell the truth. We need to realize when you're in the middle, you're not stuck. You're positioned. You're not stuck in a fallen world. This fallen world got stuck with you. You were born for such a time as this. The world isn't getting any worse. The world can get a whole lot better because you're in this world when you were born. Jesus thought enough for you to be here for his ultimate mission and purpose, and that was to lead people to Jesus, to lead people back to him. You're not stuck in this world. This world got stuck with you. You're in the middle so that you can lead people to freedom. The problem with stepping in the middle is that you might get stepped on. And hear me, generation, I, I get it. I get it. It's easier to pick a side than it is to stand in the middle, especially when the numbers outweigh each other, like when there's more people on one side than the other. Or some of you, you know what it's like, you're picking teams and you about to get picked last. Then you get picked first, but you about to get picked last. And then you're looking at which team, like, please pick me, please pick me. And you're just looking like, man, I want to really be on that team. And then what happens is we, we just we start feeling this tension. Because it's easier to pick a side than it is to stand in the middle, than to stand alone. In the middle, you have to wrestle with wanting to say something and wanting to do something because you feel the pain and you want to fix it. You want to help people find healing. The soldiers, the people, and the leaders, it says in this story, they scoffed and they mocked him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. Save yourself. One of the criminals yelled insults at him. Save yourself and us. Point number four, write this down. If Jesus would have saved himself, 
he wouldn't have saved us. If Jesus would have saved himself, he wouldn't have saved us. Titus chapter 3 verses, verse 5 says he saved us because of his mercy. If Jesus would have saved himself, he wouldn't have saved us. And he didn't just save himself. He didn't just save himself just so he could save us. He saved us to change us. He saved your life so you could change. When you're in the middle, there's this tension that you don't want to offend either side, as I mentioned, but there's this temptation to fight. They question his identity. They question his sovereignty. Aren't you the Messiah, the chosen one? You really are the king. If you are king of the Jews, if you are God's Messiah, when you're in the middle, we think everything is about winning and losing. That's our whole mindset. But if we maintain this mindset, we will always fight to win instead of fight to heal. that's, That's the motivation when you're in the middle. Jesus shows us that he didn't have to prove a point. He didn't even have to win the argument. He didn't need any more proof of who he was. Let me explain it this way. When he was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter cut off somebody's ear. See, y'all don't know that in your Bible. Peter was a thug. They came in there to arrest him, and Peter was like, not today. Bow, just, just chopped his ear off. I'll read the story for you. It says this, Matthew 26. Jesus says these words right after Peter cut off somebody's ear. Jesus says, do you think I cannot call on my father? That's, 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 you know, that's real you know, hood right there. I'll call my daddy. <laughs> Don't make me call my daddy. Do you not know I can call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than somebody say more than 12 legions of angels. Do you all know how much a legion is? A thousand, 12,000 angels. I ain't going to lie. If Jesus was like, hey, daddy, send them. Y'all, <laughs> the whole Bible would have been wild. Like, age. Hey, that's the end. We just would have been in heaven. He would have just told us a story. And then Michael, you know, St. Michael, he just be like, that was me because I was ready. Pitchfork in it. I don't even got, got a pitchfork. You probably got a sword and all kinds. Of, oh, who knows? I don't know. Jesus shows us that when you choose to stand in the middle, point number five, we don't win arguments. We win souls. We don't win arguments. We win souls. Proverbs 1130. The one who is wise wins souls. The only hill that Jesus was willing to die on was the one that allowed everyone to come to the truth of who he is. That was the only cross he was. That was the only hill he was willing to die on. And some of us, we want to die on hills that don't even matter. You want you argue about some of the pettiest things. Stuff like, is Georgia better than Alabama? We know the answer to this. Go dogs. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really. Help me, Jesus. We don't win arguments. We win souls. Because if all you do is win arguments, you don't really win. Let me say that again for all my argumentative people. If all you do is win arguments, you don't really win. Pastor Will, I'm good at getting the last word where you're good at being by yourself. Because nobody wants to be around somebody who likes to argue. What I'm saying to you is, is if you win every argument, we lose. Because being friends isn't about winning arguments. It's about winning the relationship. But in order to have unity, I has to be in the middle. If you look at the word unity, the letter I is in the middle. Somebody say in the middle. I want to be in the middle. Something has to bring us together. Someone has to bring us together. Let's look at the last two verses in the story. Verse 41 of chapter 23 of Luke. We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, 
remember me. Somebody say, remember me. Let me give you a definition for remember. Pastor Mark uses it a lot. He breaks the word down, remember, remember, to to bring back together, bringing back to right relationship. That word right relationship in the Bible is also known as being declared as righteous, as righteousness. That when you're in right relationship with God, he looks at you as righteous. Jesus came to restore us. He came to bring us all back together, to bring us back to him. Because being in the middle isn't a curse, it's a blessing. But it also means greater greater responsibility. So I choose to be in the middle. I choose together. Because Jesus didn't come to take sides, Jesus came to take over. Jesus didn't come to choose sides, he came to take over. Because my Bible is clear, it says that one day, one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. You get to worship out of opportunity before you get to worship out of obligation. Because one day you're going to be made to worship when you're already made to worship. It's messy in the middle, but there's a miracle in it because there's more in the middle. Somebody say more. We're in a tough position because we're called to be in the middle. You're called to bring about unity. And to bring people to common ground, to a common goal, which is the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. Well, you can't make disciples if you don't bring them to church. Better yet, you can't make disciples if you don't lead them to Jesus. You got to be in the middle. When you're in that classroom and that person's going off and you know, you matter of fact, I bet the person that you despise the worst is the person that Jesus probably puts on your heart the most. He's probably like, that's the one you need to talk about. Like, you need to not talk about to somebody else. You need to talk about me to them. Because if you get them on my side, I promise you, they're going to help you win the whole school. You're supposed to be in the middle. Because Jesus took a stand. You know where Jesus is standing? In the middle. He was in the middle of a cross between people who loved him and people who hated him. He was in the midst of a painful moment and he still found the strength to look up to heaven and the people that were the source of his pain and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his purpose, in between people who hated him and a father who loved him. He was in the middle. There's more in the middle. He was in the middle of fighting for your salvation and he's in the middle of your today. And you know, he's so good. He's so good. He put the Holy Spirit in you. And you know where he put the Holy Spirit in you? In the middle. Because he said things to you like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to leave a part of me with you that goes wherever you need me to go because I'm in the middle of everything that you need. The cross was in the middle. And you need to know that eternity is your destiny. But where you spend your eternal destination, it's a decision. Because John 14, 6 says this. I got another verse that proves that Jesus is in the middle. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's in the middle. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in the middle. This is what it means to be Christ-centered, to live a Christ-centered life. Jesus is in the middle of this service right now. He's in the middle of this moment right now because it's all about him. There's an old worship song that says Jesus at the center. I mean, we're not going to sing it, but he's just he's in the middle. It's always been about him. So where do you stand? Because we need to stand for something. 
And it's easier to make a stand than it is to stay in the middle. But our job as a church is to bring people together, not to separate people, because every time division happens, that's a byproduct of the enemy. Every time since the beginning of time, the enemy has been using division because he doesn't just want to destroy you. He wants to divide you. That's all he wants. He didn't want to he didn't just want to separate us from God. He wanted to separate you from each other. Because he knows if he can get you in isolation, the greater opportunity he has to destroy you. But when Satan sees a group of young people that are unified, that are together, that are with Jesus in the middle, he knows if he messes with one of you, he got to mess with all of us. Somebody say in the middle. Say in the middle. Jesus was in the middle of a message when Pharisees and teachers of the law burst in the middle of a temple with a woman who was caught in the middle of an act of adultery and they threw this woman in the middle of the temple. He was in the middle. Jesus was in the middle of a woman with the issue of blood and there were people all around and he's walking with his disciples and they could have stoned her because she was ceremonially unclean according to the Mosaic law, according to the verses in the Bible that you never even read. But he was in the middle. Let me give you another one. Jesus is with the disciples in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm. And Jesus is in the middle where you are right now. You need to know this, that you're in the middle because life is in the middle. You know, when you get when you die one day, and hopefully it's a long time from now. I pray I pray that God protects your life. But on your tombstone, you're going to have a birth date and a death date. But that little dash, it's the middle. And that's what you're living in right now. You're in the middle. Somebody say the middle. He stands in the middle of our salvation and our issue. And what I want to ask you is this. If I ask, if we're not attracting people that Jesus attracted, are we preaching the gospel that Jesus preached? Because Jesus was in the middle. And he was bringing people to him. Are we living the life that Jesus lived? Are we loving people the way Jesus loved? Because Jesus was in the middle and I need you to be in the middle. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, as I read earlier, for he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. He is with you in the middle.